Let's pray. Father, um, we can take it for granted sometimes that as we pray, that you're listening, that you care for the things that we say, that you're working all things together for our good. Father, we take for granted that, that you have a plan for our lives. And sometimes the things that we pray are, are opposing the plan that you have. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for experiencing everything that we've ever experienced. Hurt and disappointment and frustration. I ask today that you would give us ears to hear and minds to comprehend and hearts with fertile soil, Father. Feet that want to run with obedience, Father. Pray that we walk out of here with hope, encouraged, renewed, with fire, with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, we're going to be in Acts 12 today. So we're going to skip over Acts 11, which um, we'll talk about a few cliff notes, I guess. And uh, any college students, they probably don't have cliff notes for Rosedale, do they? But if you go to Ohio State, they do. You can just go to like cliffnotes.com or some other stuff, and they have all like the classes or most classes with notes from tests and everything else. So that would be unique if they had it for Rosedale. But we're going to do some cliff notes. Um, so some of my favorite highlights, just a few from chapter 11 was um, Peter is just kind of rehashing, um, sharing his perspective of what happened in chapter 10 now with the people in the area. So Peter was to bring a message through which Cornelius' house could be saved. That was exciting to me. Um, another thing in verse 18 in chapter 11 was, when they heard the message, when they heard this, they had no further obligations and praise God saying, so the, God, um, so, so the God has granted even the Gentiles repentance into life. So they were surprised, the Jews were surprised that the Gentiles now could come to Christ. That God offered them repentance, that they could experience spiritual gifts, and then that they could be baptized. Um, in chapter 11, we see those who were persecuted at Stephen's death. Remember, he was the first person that uh, served as a martyr. Um, those people who, who were scattered there um, continued to preach. So the church, the church that was scattered at Stephen's death continued to preach the good news, but only preaching to the Jews. That's interesting to me. People were continually added to the kingdom, and then now, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Kind of that's what happened in chapter 11. So here we are, chapter 12. So if you guys have your Bibles, please turn there. If you have your electric Bible, electronic, electric, whatever it is, it's electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. You can turn there. So uh, verse 1. You guys doing okay? All right. Doing real good now. So uh, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So we're just going to stop right there for a couple moments. King Herod. How many of you guys have ever heard of King Herod? So there were many King Herods in Scripture, and we have to understand that this King Herod isn't the same King Herod um, that we're always reading about. So who is this King Herod during this time? This was not Herod Antipas, the one who Jesus stood trial to. But it was Herod from the same family lineage dating back to Herod the Great. So... Much of the research that I've done with Herod the Great is this, one, it was a self-appointed name. It wasn't necessarily he was so great. King Herod thought that he was so great. 
So he just started to claim that that's what he should be called. The other thing with King Herod is he also liked to kill people. I believe he had 12 wives and killed many of them, killed many of his children. Long story short about all the Herods, um, Herod the Great ended up having a son and more sons, and Antipas is in that lineage by which now um, the apostles are dealing with. So, um, the one we're reading about today is Herod Agrippa I. Sorry. So, Herod Agrippa I is the one we're reading about today. He received favor uh, with Jewish people because he observed many of the Jewish rituals. And he persecuted the early church that pleased the Jews. You know what's interesting to me? Is you can think of, um, you can think of the worst person in the world. Um, you can think of terrorists or you can think of whoever it may be. I don't think I can ever celebrate them being murdered to death. Like, there has to be something in whoever can celebrate any kind of murder. And right here, what we see about Herod Agrippa I is the Jews were pleased that he was killing Christians. Weird. Like, even people that oppose Christians right now this day and age, there's no way I could celebrate their death. I can't. That's still, so, that's still someone's child. That was still someone's baby. That was still a kid brought into this world that wanted to, be, uh, wanted to have a good life but was trained differently, conditioned differently. I don't agree with what they're doing, but I do pray mercy on them in grace. But this Agrippa... He liked that um, it was pleasing to the Jews. So verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with, uh, met, when he saw that this was met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So the Apostle James murdered for his faith. A murderer. See, James was actually told by Jesus that he would be put to death as well. We see that also in the New Testament. But what's amazing to me is, is now we've seen the disciple killed, right? Mark chapter 10, 35 through um, 39. I want to read you what Jesus tells James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That would be a weird conversation, wouldn't it? Jesus, can I be your right hand man and the other be the left but what did Jesus say? He said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? <laughs> we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with. Jesus is revealing to them that they're going to die the same death that he died. Murdered for their faith. You know what? I'm probably just going to never ask Jesus if I can sit to his left or his right. <laughs> like, this isn't me going to the classroom and picking where I sit. I'm just going to say, assign me, Jesus. Assign my seat. Jesus was foretelling them the death by which. So now when we get here and we see James is murdered for his faith, right? 
James and Peter, both lovers of God. So James was murdered, Peter now captured, or get ready to be captured, right? James, lover of God, follower of Jesus. Peter, lover of God, follower of Jesus. Both of them young in their faith, or just young in general, right? A bright future. We, we could probably even declare over their lives that revivalists, world changers, atmosphere changers, passionate preachers, we'd certainly say a bright future. So why would God let one die and another escape? Why wouldn't God just protect them? Why wouldn't he protect their future? I guess the short answer would be somehow by one living and one dying brought glory to God. I don't have to understand it. See, we all have our days numbered by God. Your days are numbered and my days are numbered and the person you're sitting next to, their days are numbered. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. Here's what it says. Now, now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast comes from the abyss, will attack them and overpower and kill them. When they were finished with their testimony, speaking of angels, when they were finished with their testimony of who Jesus was, then God let them be overtaken and killed, taken out. I believe that, that when God's done with us, he takes us. When we're done with our testimony, God allows us to be overtaken. So what I think happened here is biblically speaking, I think that God was done with James. He was done with them. He let him come. It doesn't make sense to me. Why, why would you let one of the Young, passionate, powerful preachers, lovers of Jesus, go be with him when we need him down here. Because God was finished with him. When God is finished with us on this side, it's time to go be with him. He chooses our time, not us. God was ready for James, and he wasn't ready for Peter. James beat Peter to heaven. Do you think James was complaining? Right now, do you think James is complaining? Oh, I can't believe that God brought me to heaven. Look, as Christians, this is, this is really hard. Like, you, we, death is really hard. But we believe, we, we believe the scriptures, we believe in Jesus, we believe that, that, that God is who he says he was or, and is, or we don't. So we believe that James is in heaven, or we don't. And if we believe that James is in heaven, then we believe that he's in a better place than what's here. A hard realization that we have to be willing to let go. God was ready for him. Additionally, today we're going to learn um, pretty soon that Peter had some people praying for him. And I'm not saying that John didn't, or not John, but James didn't have people praying for him. I believe that there were people praying for James. But simply in spite of the prayer, guess what God said? No. You know when you pray... It's not that you're not getting an answer. Sometimes your answer is just no. Can you be okay with just no? God says, hey God, I would like this. Or I pray, I say, God, I would like for you to do this. I don't see it happen. I don't see it happen. It's been five years. I don't see it happen. It's been six months. I don't see it happen. I don't see it happen. His answer was no. I just didn't accept it. So I keep on praying and I keep on fasting and I keep on petitioning and my, my answer is still no. So a parent or as a kid I go to parents and I say, can I have my friend over? 
No. Why not? Because you didn't do your chores. Five minutes later, can I have a friend over? The answer's still the same. No. Seven minutes later, after crying and throwing a fit. But why not? Because I said no. And if you ask me again, you're going to your room. Kicking my feet and storming. The answer's still no. I'm now grounded. I'm in my room. And you guys heard stories of me having dreams of Satan in my house. So now I'm upstairs, grounded, crying, scared for my life. If I just would have accepted the answer of, of my covering... I still could have been down, downstairs playing Xbox or PlayStation or watching a movie and enjoying pizza, drinking Mountain Dew. But instead, I didn't um, accept the answer by which my father gave me. There's answers that God's given us today. We just don't like them. So, I'm sure the church was praying for James. The answer was just no. But Peter, we're going to see something different. Because prayer does change the outcome. And God always chooses to partner with us to accomplish his plan. God's choosing you today. And God chose you yesterday to partner with him to change the world. To, to actually change all of eternity. He uses you. Like, it's really not hard for God to speak to the whole earth at once. Someone once asked the question, why didn't God, when he, uh, Jesus, when he rose from the grave, why didn't he share with the whole world instead of just a few people? Because what he cares about is these few people trusting and spreading the word. He, he, he could literally right now open up heaven and speak to the whole world. He could appear to all of us and he, he could share the gospel with us. But he finds value in you and he wants you to spread that good news. That's, that's why he's partnering with us. So what God asks is for us to partner with him in prayer. And here in Acts chapter 12, we see a praying church. So what happens? Verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. So there's uh, much to be said about it's illegal the long story short, it's illegal to kill someone on Passover, to crucify them. So you're like, well, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus had to fill the prophecies, right? So we're not going to sit there today. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. But the church was earnestly praying for him. But the church was earnestly praying for him. What are we earnestly praying for as a church? In unity, right? What are we earnestly praying for in our families? What are we earnestly praying for? Um, for ourselves. For our kids. The unique thing here is the church wasn't praying um, in this situation for God to show up in their life. The church was praying for someone in need. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. This amazes me. All right. How many of you slept really, really, really well last night? Raise your hand. A couple of you. Better question. How many of you just, just didn't sleep well last night? 
All right, and then how many of you, it's like, man, I got, a, I got a test tomorrow, or I got work tomorrow, or I didn't get my way tonight, or I didn't get my way last night, or things aren't going my way, and you just seem to not sleep well because of the pressure by which you think tomorrow is going to break. Raise your hand. Praise God. I thought there was going to be more. What's amazing to me is this, is we have a generation of people who lose sleep over a test, over someone's opinion of them, over not getting enough likes, over their football team losing. Ohio State fans don't have that problem. Just saying. Krista's like, whatever. You have it coming for you. The bigger the giant, the harder they fall. Well, we shall see. Either way, we lose sleep over those types of things, right? Peter, knowing what just happened to James, bound to soldiers, having four squads of four men watching over him, he must have been one bad dude. Sleeping. I'm not sleeping the night before I know that I'm going to die. If I'm physically fit, whatever, I'm not sleeping. I'm probably praying, I'm crying, I'm fighting, I'm wrestling. I'm anxious, I'm hurting. Peter here is sleeping the night before or within hours of the time that he's supposed to die. <laughs> we do see throughout Scripture that he is a natural sleeper. <laughs> I mean, we do. Like, dude just sleeps. Speaking of that, I always like to find ways to make fun of my dad. Um, you'll be mid-conversation with him. You just get done eating some food, mid-conversation. So what do you think about Buckeyes? Literally, he just asked me the question. That wasn't me asking him the question. <laughs> what do you think about the Buckeyes? <sighs> Peter! Though Peter was a natural sleeper, he's now sleeping before his death. How could this happen? I'm going to work it just a little bit more. Why can I not sleep when I ha when, uh, hours before a hard conversation? Why can I not sleep because of frustrations with this or frustrations with that? Because I don't have the peace of Christ in that area because I haven't given God permission with that. I haven't given my trust and my heart to God that he's going to make everything okay in that area. Peter's at peace right now. Because he fully trusts God with his death. And if he dies, he's okay with it. But you know what? Peter actually knows, based upon God's promise, that it's not his time yet. That's what's really interesting to me. I, I really believe that Peter's sleeping in this moment because he trusts God so much about the word that came from Jesus to him. What was that word? John 21, 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you, were, um, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Here it is. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where um, you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Maybe Peter was able to sleep because he had a relationship with Jesus. And out of that relationship, Jesus told him the way by which he was going to die. This was relatively just some time ago, right? A year, within a year, year and a half, two years, three years, just some time ago. So, so, so what I'm saying is, Peter, after that word, after Jesus spoke that word to Peter, Peter didn't get old, even if it was 20 years. Peter's not old now. He's still young. 
in prison now, and he has to remember this Jesus who died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later for the atonement of my sin. This Jesus that laid his life down for me. This Jesus who appeared to me and 500 other people. This Jesus who's living inside of me. This Jesus who's been saving all these people as the word travels. He told me that I'm going to die later on in my life by the sword. I'm going to be murdered. So I'm still young and I, I trust him and I believe him. I guess I can go to sleep. Went to sleep, chained to men. There was peace in his heart. See, if Peter tried to fix his problems, he wouldn't have been at peace. Our peace is found in Jesus and the promises that Jesus presents to us in our lives. And I would say this, if you don't know promises that God's spoken to you, then I would say this, start pursuing a deeper relationship with him. There's promises that I cling to in my life that um, not about having a Lamborghini, not about having a 7,000 square foot house, no name it, no claim it, none of that. There's promises in my life that I cling to about the future that I feel like God's spoken over my life and into my life. What promises has God spoken to you about your life? I'm not saying just start collecting thoughts that come to you and saying, oh, that must be God's promise. If you really want to know God's promise for your life, first just read the word. That's where you're going to find a lot of the promises. But as you read the word, I do believe that he will speak other words to you. We have a church, a big K church, a little K church. We have a church worrying about things that God has already promised to us. There's a tendency to assume worry about certain things, right? That's what we do. We, we worry about finances. We, we worry, we worry. We all have different worries. Or we've added so much to our lives that God didn't intend that now we are dealing with self-inflicted worry. You know, like there's real worry. <laughs> I get ready to throw something in there that wasn't intended, but you know, like there's real worry. Like someone's sick or someone's homeless or someone's dealing with hurt because of a separation or divorce. There's real worry. And then there's like self-inflicted worry. I'm running late to work, so I'm driving 70 on 29. And I should have listened to Pastor Joey and drive 55. If you were driving 55, you wouldn't have to worry about paying that bill now. Sometimes we have self-inflicted stuff. Meaning we sign up for too many things. We've bought too many items. We're in too much debt. You want to know one of my big frustrations this summer? I mean, this is real. It's, it's so first, first, first world. Um, I had to worry about watering my porch plants. It's like that, that was so annoying to me because if you don't water them, they're going to die. So you have to pull that stupid hose out and you just, the honey to-do list. Macy's not here. She can watch it though. I love you, Macy. <laughs> so look, I just feel like I'm always running and some of it's self-inflicted and some, some of it's just due to life. But you know, you got those um, boxes that the hoe, hose, what's it even called, rolls up in. A hose box, fine. You get the point. My hose box. So it's by the house and you take that little four foot thing and you plug it into the other thing and then you're good, right? But if you really want it to work proficiently, what you should do is you should take the stakes that's provided within the package and stake it into the ground. Because when you pull it, the box doesn't come with you. So the whole summer, I'm just too lazy or too busy, whatever it is, to follow the instructions. 
So the first 60 feet work really well. It's like works well and works well and works well. And then I hit the 60 foot mark. Now I'm out in front of the house and people can see it. And then I get to the 68 foot mark, right? 68 foot meaning that's eight foot or eight foot hose that now I'm dragging the box with me. So 68 feet, I need 85. So what do I do? Then I go back. Pull this thing out. Grab this chunk of hose. Pull it here until I get that again. And then start dealing with it. That annoyed me the whole summer. If, look, you're like, well, you should have just took your time and nailed the thing in. You're right. You're right. In my mind, I just, I was rebelling. I was. And then Macy's dad had the audacity. He doesn't even know this about me. Macy's dad had the audacity the other day when we stopped at his house. He said, I got one of these hose things. They love Sam's Club. I got one of these hose things off Sam's Club where it's like those hydraulic lines for mechanics. We just pull that sucker and it sucks it up. Like, yeah, whatever. You're just always trying to best me. You know what? Macy sleeps in my bed. So you can't best that, Doug. Either way, those things would annoy me so much to where it's like, are you guys still with me or you you just got to let it out? (laughs) Let it out real quick. All right, so look. You're like, where's this even going? I'm getting there. Be patient. Every day I'd have to come home and deal with that where it's like, I don't want to. So why do we have to have porch plants? Oh, they look nice. They do. I'm okay with it, whatever. Maybe I need to change my attitude. But then there's the porch plants, and then there's the patio plants, and then you got to keep up with the Joneses, and you got to edge your yard. And luckily, we didn't have a lot of rain this summer. And then you sign up for this class, and that class, and this committee, and that committee, and then you just deal with work stress, or spouse's work stress, or kid's stress, or community stress, or sin life, and you're just like, there's too much going on in my life. Can anyone relate? Are there any husbands in there who haven't pinned their box down? <laughs> Can I get a witness? It's like, no, we learned that like first year of marriage. See, we overcomplicate life where we just keep on thinking that if we buy more plants, that endorphin rush that makes us happy. You know what will make me happy, though, is if I spend 150 on that hose reel. I'll be real happy there. But what about mowing 100 acres? Man, it would be really nice to have 200 acres. But then you got to mow it and you got to upkeep it. So now you're watering the plants. Now you're mowing the grass. Now you're cooking dinner. Now you're cleaning up the house. And it's just like your whole life has become about things and now worry. And then now you're worried about the 100 acres here. And now you're worried about the plants. And now you're worried about the dishes. And now you're worried about your kids not being cool enough because they're not playing sports. And you're worried about running late to here and to there and to here. And you're always being drug around. And then you finally say, I haven't really prayed in six weeks, and I haven't opened up my Bible in like six months. And then you say, I don't know why there's not any peace in my life. How many of you guys have ever seen a strawberry grow on a pear tree? You haven't. Where do strawberries grow? Strawberries grow on strawberry plants. Apples grow on apple trees. The fruit by which your life produces exposes who you are. And if my whole life is about everything and busyness and worry about all these other things, then I'm missing the mark. We have self-inflicted worry that we've just added to our lives about things that really don't matter. Right? 
Can someone relate to me on that? Sometimes the best way for you to be used by God, this is really important, is to free your schedule and limit your obligations. That's one of the best ways to be used by God. Free your schedule. And then not complain about the hole that you've dug yourself. God, I've signed up for everything. Will you fix this? He's like, wait a second. What am I going to fix? I, 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 I can't force you to quit signing up for things. I can't force you to quit buying plants. I can't force you to quit leading this event. Of course he's not going to answer that prayer because how is he? We keep on doing it. If you want to be used by God more, open up your schedule. And then there's some of us who just need to be more disciplined in their schedule and slowing down because I could have saved. You take like seven minutes times every day times the whole summer. I could have saved seven minutes each day if I would have took three minutes and did that. Got my hammer and pinned in my thing. Some of us just need to be more disciplined too. My point and all that is this. The main thing has to be the main thing, and we have to be a praying church. And because we're being sucked away with so many other things, we don't have time. God answers prayers. God partners with us in his prayers. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. God will answer prayers, but it doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do. I've recognized in my life that I constantly want God to go 100% of the way all the time. God, just finish all of this. I forget about the honor it is to partner with him. Do you see Peter still had to do something here in this scripture? It wasn't God just doing everything. Do you know what he had to do? Put on your clothes and sandals. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Get decent, right? Just get decent. Just do something very basic. Basic level stuff here. See, God does the supernatural and we are called to do the natural. Simple things lead to extraordinary fruit. Peter put on his clothes, sandal, and cloak. And if the church would start doing basics constantly, I think we would see the extraordinary more frequently. We don't need to, we don't need to give a message like we're preaching to 80,000 people and leading revival every Sunday. Because I dare to say this, if we're praying every day for Sunday if we're praying every day for the fruit and the workers of Mechanicsburg, if we're praying for harvest, then we're going to see more extraordinary life within the church. The problem is we're so caught up in our stuff that we're not doing the basic things daily. I dare you to pray for 10 minutes the next 30 days. I didn't say like, Five out of the 30 days. For 30 out of 30 days. Will you be disciplined enough to pray 30 out of 30 days? Will you take... That's what, I'm going to make a video of these stupid potted plants. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to punt that thing. And then I'm going to show you. I'm going to spend 10 minutes because now I don't have to water my plants. Will you prioritize God in such a way for 10 minutes a day? My punting is not very good, so it probably went behind me, rolling off, or it was blocked. Other teams going the other way. 
the basic things. Will you do the basic things? Will you, will you read the Bible? How many minutes did I challenge you guys in several months ago? You guys remember? Three minutes. And how much did that equal? Do you guys remember? One day. 24 hours. If you read the Bible three minutes a day, every day for a whole year, that equals 24 hours of reading a year. Praise God. I remember asking someone this question once. I said, what's been the most catastrophic thing that's taken place in your life over the past five years? They said, I was so overwhelmed by the weight of knowing the Bible that I didn't read anything and I haven't progressed in knowing it. There's such this pressure as Christians to think that you have to know the whole Bible in its entirety yesterday that the task is too big just to take on a little chunk today. And what this person was saying is, is they feel um, the weight of the pressure of not progressing anywhere in five years. So imagine, how many days would it be if 24 hours is one year? How many days? Five days of Bible reading for just three minutes a day. See, Christians, we make it too complicated. We think that we literally have to kick down the jail cell. We think that we have to pray and God just always do an earthquake. Maybe the best way is just to listen to what God provides and put on your shoes and put on your jacket and get decent for the day and let God do the rest. Basics. Will you start doing the basics? That's what Peter did here. See, because we still have ownership in what God is doing in our lives. So I will say this one more time. If the church would start doing the basics constantly, I think we would see the extraordinary more frequently. Verse 9. Peter followed him out of prison. He had no idea that the angel was, um, that the angel was doing was really happening. What the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by themselves, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that, that the Lord has sent the angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So Peter's finally awake, right? And realized God was in this so-called vision. Verse 12. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. People not, or sorry, people. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and ex ex explained, exclaimed, sorry, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Weird theology there about it being his, an uh, his angel. Nevertheless, um, why would someone's angel just come knocking at the door? If it, was, if it was his angel, they just would have came into the house, right? Because I don't think, I don't think the angel, I mean, just so weird, I don't think the angel went to um, bail bonds, right? Jail bonds, whatever they are, and didn't go there and pay his way out. They just appeared and did it. If it was an angel, they would just appeared. Either way, think a little Rhoda, right? She went to the outer court, so it's really suggesting that it's kind of this big place that they're at. She sees that it's Peter, and, and we, could preach this, we could preach this for a long time, but um, she sees that it's Peter, and she's so excited. Imagine that. You, you know you got those excitable people in your life over the top at Christmas, over the top at birthdays, over the top when their team wins. You love that they're joyful, but you also hate how loud they can be. 
is there any, are there any rotas in here that are willing to admit it? <laughs> We're a participating church. <laughs> All right. Either way, what ends up happening is, is she goes back to the church, to the main, to the main people, right, who've been praying for Peter. The church has been praying for Peter. We saw that in verse 5. Rhoda comes back, and she's like, hey, Peter's here. <laughs> no, no, he's not. No, really, Peter is here. He, he's at the outer courts. Rhoda, you're just, you're just one of those over-excitable people at birthdays and everything else. I don't believe you. That just must be his angel. Why can the church pray for something and then get the answer and then not believe it? You know, why can we pray for something and then get told no and then not be okay with it? Why can we pray something and then get told yes and not believe it? So if we're praying for a miracle and the miracle happens, why would we not believe it? That's what happens here. The church was a praying church, but the church wasn't an expectant church. What does that tell you about their faith? See, what we're actually told, not all of us, but many of us, it's like you have to have enough faith. I get it, and I don't get it. So what's enough faith? Because clearly this church didn't have enough faith. Because if they had enough faith, they would have believed it. If you have enough faith and you pray for something and you end up saying, I pray that Peter will escape, Peter ends up showing up and I had enough faith that God was actually going to do it, and then he shows up, then I celebrate. But they didn't have enough faith. They prayed about it, he shows up, and they thought Rhoda was lying. The faith that you need is the faith just to pray. The faith that you need is just to say, God, this is bigger than me, I can't fix it, I give it all to you. The faith that you need is just to say, God, I trust you and not myself. That's all the faith that you need. You don't need to muster anything else up. So we had a praying church, but not an expecting church. But what I do hope is also is that not only does Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship become a praying church, but we also become an expectant church. How many of us expected that Jesus was going to move powerfully in here today? We came to church. We said, I hope he doesn't go long today. I hope they play the worship songs alike. I hope, I hope, I hope. Some of you might even have prayed for service. Some of you might not have. Some of you may not even, even have considered praying for Sunday service. Service doesn't stop on Sunday. Service only begins. I hope that the church comes alive Monday through Friday and Saturday. It shouldn't just be about this. If church is just about Sunday morning, then I don't want it. Can we be expectant that when we pray for church and when we pray for our community that God's going to do something? They prayed and didn't seem that God seemed to think that God would answer it. It's not about claiming, it's not about just believing. It's just about trusting God. Prayer is paramount, and it changes the impending outcome. And that's why I say you are only as serious about a situation as your prayer life reveals. If you really want to see a change in an area, I ask you, are you praying about it? Well, how much? You're only as serious about a change we, we can be really passionate about something, right? You guys have heard me say it before. We're only passionate to the point of convenience. So when something gets really tough, we just give up. Like, man, I just want to build my own house, and I'm going to do it. And then you post hole the first corner post. And you're like, yeah, I'm out. Calling Ryan Buildings. Whoever. You're only as passionate until you, you hit something that's now inconvenient. Anyone relate? Like, how many times have we ever started a diet? 
And then eight hours in, your stomach's like, and it's like, I didn't realize that this cleanse was actually demonic deliverance. Because my stomach is making these, and then you go, oh, and then you got a ticking time bomb, right? Run into the bathroom. Either way, you're only passionate to that place. You're only, you only care about a situation as much as you're willing to pray about it. And if you're not willing to pray about it, what you only want is your opinion to be heard. Right? Sometimes you just need your opinion heard. Other times, you just need to pray. And then pray some more. And then pray some more. The church was serious about prayer but lacked the faith that some modern movements would say that is required to have. Enough faith for an answered prayer is going to God knowing that the situation is out of your control. Father, help my unbelief, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. They were still surprised that God did it. Verse 17, we're wrapping up. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Prayer. Priorities. Right? That's what we're talking about today. What are your priorities? What have we filled our lives with in prayer? Prayer changes things. So today's description. Herod Agrippa I seems to like attention. Was out to kill Christians. To get them. He killed James. He put Peter in jail with a plan to kill him. But God answered the prayers of a praying church. I think that's a promise. Like, there's no secrets in the Bible. There's no cheat codes in the Bible. But there's promises in the Bible. And at the men's, um, at the men's worship night on Friday... I was able to share, share with the guys, there's one, there's one prayer that I know God will always answer. You know what that prayer is? God, help me know you more. God's always going to answer that prayer. Help me know you more. He might not go about it the way that you thought he would. He's not going to go about it the way that you thought he would, but he's going to answer that. God will answer the prayers of a praying church. So how, I ask you, like, how do you want to move forward with that? Rhetorical. Do you, ha, have you provided a space in your life that if we had a prayer meeting here on Tuesdays and Thursdays that you could make one of them? Do you prioritize prayer enough that you're willing to pray for the church? Because what I recognize even about myself is there can be a tendency to have good ideas, but I'm unwilling to make the sacrifice necessary. And until the church and until we as individuals are willing to make a sacrifice, we're going to keep on complaining about where the nation's going. See, changing the nation starts right here within our communities. Changing the nation means that a group of people come together and they pray and they weep and they fast and they worship the King of Kings. What's your sacrifice? Maybe, maybe you yell at Fox or maybe you yell at NBC or CBS. Maybe you yell at donkeys or maybe you yell at, um, why can I not think, or elephants. Maybe you're just an in-betweener, right? Maybe you yell at either of them. Quit yelling about them because the time that you just watched for four hours on repeat, you could have gave the church 30 of them praying together. Right? Amen? Amen. Or is that stepping on too many big toes? 
Me watching the news isn't going to fix what's happening within my community. What's going to help my community is me coming together with all of you and saying, Jesus, will you help us? Will you lead us? Will you bring revival to our communities? Will you help my family? Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for the healing of this brother or this sister. And we prioritize it. But we're not. Because I'm messing with hose boxes. And I'm watering dying plants. And I'm taking this person to soccer practice and that person to baseball practice and then picking up a Taco Bell quick pack with Mountain Dew on the side. Right? You know what's going to happen when we go to heaven and when we face Jesus? All that's going to burn up. When it goes through that assembly line, that fire, it's all going to burn up. The hours that I watched news worrying about our nation, it's all going to burn up. You know what's going to be there, though? Is I'm going to see this piece of gold. It's not going to burn up, and it's going to be Joey when Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship came together and they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prioritized. And they fasted. And it was scary, and it was hard, but they trusted you. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And then people started to come to Christ. And people began to get set free, and people began to get healed. It's like we're coming in at halftime and expecting to play. And you know what? We're not even coming in at halftime and expecting to play. We're coming in at halftime and telling God what to do. I know the game plan. No, be there for the practices, and the practices mean we're praying. Either way, back to the description. God answered the prayers of a praying church. An angel came and set Peter free. The church initially didn't believe that God answered their prayers when Peter showed up. We didn't get to it today, but Herod did not praise God, and the angel struck him down, and he was eaten by worms. Sounds like a pretty bad death. Prescription for today. Simple obedience. It's time for the church to do the small things and let God do the rest. Put on your clothes and shoes and let God do the rest. If you wake up tomorrow, get yourself decent and follow God the rest of the day. Be committed to prayer. Your solution isn't in what you can do. Your solution is who you are asking. Even when it hurts, pray. Um, Tom Ryan, Ohio State's coach, he, um, he's doing like this 10-minute documentary stuff. Like you get to follow him every week for 10 minutes. And he woke up... Um, He woke up and his dog wakes him up at like 5.30 every day. And he said, my dog has to get outside that she'll wake me up every day. He says she craves, she craves to see the outside so much and be in that atmosphere that she'll wake me up every single day. He said, so I'll push myself. Because he said, you only get better when you suffer. Look, if... If I go into the gym and I just grab the two and a half pounders and I just do this, I'm not going to get any better. It's basically what I do now. I'm not getting any better. The Chipotle belly keeps on getting bigger. But if I want to suffer, so then I go to 15 pounders. And I do 15 pounders. And then my muscles start to hurt. And I suffer. And I sweat in tears. And I want to give up. But I fight through it. That's where growth comes. Right? Is the church willing to suffer and sacrifice anything? Or do we want to continue to get our way and life be easy by pushing two and a half pounders and end up just saying, I don't see why my life isn't getting any better? Prayer. Pushing through it. Simple obedience, committed to that prayer. Prayer for your family, ministry, church, community, and nation. 
there is hope in Christ when we pray. Amen? I'm serious about the prayer stuff. Put that ball in your courts. I'm going to keep on praying. I want you guys to join me with prayer. Are you willing to step up and start praying? I know that Daniel Ware, um, not here today, he, he comes into the church. He's been wanting to meet with guys. So in our, uh, one of our guys groups. So he co- he's coming to the church on Tuesdays now from 7 to 8 a.m. to pray. So gentlemen, if you want to come to the church on Tuesdays, 7 to 8 a.m., Daniel's going to be here praying. And if he's not here praying, we're going to hurt him. <laughs> pray for Daniel. Let's pray. You tell him I said that. Father, um, help us trust you with prayer. It's not about, Father, mustering up more faith. We believe in you. We trust you. But help us, um, encourage us, Father, to pray. Cultivate a praying church here, Father. Just not in times of need, but in times, Father, um, in times of overflow. Help give us a strategy, Father. Help give us certain things to pray about. Father, thank you for calling us to pray for the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a free story for you. If you want to hear it, you can be dismissed. But So, you know how we prayed for the nations a couple weeks ago from up here? I got this email. Richard, this is part of, partly of what I wanted to talk to you about. Is I got this email from um, Kenya. And this guy was emailing me, and what he said is he just emailed me. He said, uh, "Pastor Brown, I've been watching your, I've been watching your sermons for the past several weeks, and just want to say that here in Kenya, and like there's no joke to this. I see you guys waiting. Like, when's he gonna drop this? True story. Emails me, and I'm like, oh, I get a lot of emails from around the world, and then they want your router number. They they want you to send money to missions." So I'm so guarded, right? So he's emailing, and he never asked for anything. He just said, praise God, we're taking notes, we're following your sermons, praise God to the mighty work. I'm like, that's weird. Why would anyone in Kenya watch our stuff? Maybe there's a couple connections. Maybe, you know, they just Googled Acts and they found it. So I'm like, I'm going to see what this scammer's up to. So I emailed him back. And um, I said, hey, um, so how long have you been watching our stuff? How did you find our church? Blah, 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 blah. He skipped over how we found our church, but he said, I've been watching your sermons with my wife and with my congregation for, um, since August 18th when you started the Acts sermon. And I'm like, well, usually this stuff's like really automated. Really this stuff's like usually like just you see it. I'm like, so now I'm thinking like, I was 85% sure that this was a scam to start, 83% now. Like, still not convinced, but he said, I've been watching since August 18th, Acts Sermon, so I get on our website, and I'm like, when did we start this series? August 18th. This is the one we started. I'm like, okay, 82 and a half. So now I'm just really trying to like, so what else? And everything's like, literally, Bad English, everything. I'm just emailing him back with no periods, just like, oh, cool, how'd you find out about us? Like, just that, that plain and simple. And I get this response like, amen, 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 Brother Joey. Thank you for your wise words. Wise words of what? I didn't say nothing. So then um, I'm like, here's where I can pull it out of him. I'm going to ask him how we can pray for him. Because surely he'll think I'm convinced, think that I really want to help him. And then he'll say, we need money for this. So I asked him, I said, hey, how can we be in prayer for you? And he said, "Um, you can be praying for us. Um, We want to go door to door in Kenya. We've been going door to door. We, We want greater power. We want greater authority. Okay. 
We want greater compassion for Christ and people within our church, okay? We want everyone within our church to have more Bibles. He said four people have torn out pages and no one else has any Bibles. So we're praying for 25 Bibles. He said, my wife is sick and we need revival in our nation. And then he said, P.S., um, Islamic people, um, terrorists are killing. Uh, Muslims are coming through and killing Christians. But man, this is really starting to sound real. 75%. So I'm reading this email, and I'm like, this might be real. And he's like, how can I pray for you? So I email him back and to share a few things of what I think. And then he e emails me back, uh, Pastor Joey, I'm going to be praying for those things. And it just didn't sit well with me. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, I would love if this guy was actually from Kenya. We might have some connections there. We can help get our connections Bibles. We can get this church Bibles. And I'm like, I believe. Look, I, was, I believe because we prayed for the nations that God was actually going to show up. And I'm like, we were praying for the nations. Certainly God would do this. Like, I anticipate that things are going to happen that way. So what he does is... Um, I just thought that this was God. I wanted it to be God so bad. So then I'm sitting up one night, talked to Richard a little bit just through email, and while we were going back and forth, I was like, I just need to search the IP address. That's what I'm going to do. So I searched the guy's IP address from two different email addresses, and the emails were coming from Kansas. And my heart was so broken. I was just like, God, I wanted it to be... So, um, so how I wrestled with that is like, you know, to a certain degree, maybe the enemies, the enemy recognized our prayers for the nation and that God's really going to use us to impact the nations. And that was just one of those tares and one of those wheats that, um, come in our way. So keep praying, keep looking for opportunities. But, um, I was really disappointed, but I did go to sleep. <laughs> So, you're like, why you got big eyes? I haven't slept. Because <laughs> this Kansas Kenyan.